us for your sins, rose on the third day to set you free, to give you new life. And Paul is thinking, man, things can't be going better. And until last Sunday's riot, and the whole town was turned upside down, and Paul's going, well, I guess the Lord's leading me to move on. So here he is moving on. In these two verses, he makes quite a move. As you'll look at the map, all the way up and around, he goes from Ephesus all the way to Corinth in these two verses. Let's look at them. Acts 20, verses 1, 2, and touch on 3. After the uproar had ceased, and boy, what an uproar that was, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. When it says Paul embraced them, that means Paul embraced them. Paul's ministry was filled with the love of Jesus. And we're going to see that in a wonderful way as we go through this chapter today. And now when he had gone over that region, he encouraged them with many words. And he came to Greece, and that's where we end up in Corinth there, as you see on the map. And he stayed there for three months. During those three months, one of the things that God led Paul to do was to pin the epistle to the Romans. Paul had a deep desire to make it to Rome. And God put on his heart to, to write the scriptures that God was flowing through him to touch those in Rome. And his plan was first, he's going to stop by Jerusalem on his way home, and then get back to the home church in Antioch, get things prepared, pull the ministry team together, and then head for Rome. That was his plan. Another missionary journey was on his heart, planning to end up in Rome. We finish verse 3. But God has a way of working and changing our plans in a way many times we don't expect. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, in other words, he was ready to sail straight from there all the way across the Mediterranean to end up at home by way of Jerusalem. He wanted to stop by Jerusalem, just thank the Lord in, in his way for how the Lord had protected him and given them opportunity to share in Ephesus. So that's his plan. And the ship is ready to sail. But word gets back to Paul. He decided, uh-uh, I'm not going to get on that ship because they're going to throw me overboard. And it's a long swim from there to Jerusalem, over 800 miles. So he decided to backtrack and return back through Macedonia. If you look at the map again, he, was, he tried to head home, gets word that it's not going to happen. He then turns back. He's warned of this plan to do him in. And he, he had to change plans. So here he goes, verse 4. <clears throat> and this is an interesting group. We get an idea of those that knew Paul, were ministered to by Paul, discipled by Paul, and now they're out and discipling others. That's God's way of building his church, building his family. So there's this guy named Sopater of Berea. 
Remember the Bereans? They, they just wanted to know what God's Word said, and they were willing to open their hearts. And God's Word touched this guy's heart. He accompanied him to Asia, and Aristarchus, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men are, are going with Paul, and they're going ahead, and they're going to wait for us at Troas. So Paul delayed his trip home. He wanted to do that. It's not going to happen. So he heads with these men back to Macedonia. And they were already on a mission, and I believe Paul's joining their mission. What was their mission? Well, they're going back through these churches who were told about the famine in Jerusalem, and they're going to collect an offering for the famine-stricken Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And Paul joins with them. He's deterred, of course, by the plot of the unbelieving Jews to kill him. And then they're going to get back together at Troas. Verse 6. But we, and the we means Dr. Luke. Remember, he's the one that God used to write uh, this letter for us. Dr. Luke is with the bunch that sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now, Troas, it's on the Aegean Sea. It's about 130 miles up the coast from Ephesus. So they're backtracked. They're way back now above Ephesus. Waited for a week for a, a ship from there to again depart. And now they've escaped the assassination plan. They're going to get back on a ship and they're going to head finally to Antioch and uh, by way of Jerusalem. They've been delayed, but not deterred. Paul was a man that just never gave up. He would never give up. When the Lord put something on his heart, he just stubbornly kept going for it. Sometimes God uses some of our weaknesses, like stubbornness, and when we come to know him, he turns it around, causes it to work for good. Enough said about that. I don't want to get too personal about my weaknesses. Anyway, number seven, verse seven. On the first day of the week, note that, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, this is when the early church would now meet together. Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Really? Well, this is an interesting thing, a couple of points that this verse lets us know. Number one, first, the early Christians met on the first day of the week. This might seem like trivial, but think it through with me. For 1,500 years, and a lot of these new believers in Christ were Jewish brethren, and they would meet to worship God on the last day of the week, on the Sabbath. In fact, the Bible commanded them to meet on that day. But Jesus changed it all. 
Jesus was the fulfillment of the laws, and Jesus was the fulfillment of the Sabbath day itself. And Jesus says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was the rest that they were to enter into and open their hearts to their God and just rest in him. Well, Jesus is our rest. He is our Sabbath now. So why did all of this change so radically? Why did the early Christians change their day of worship? Well, number one, because Jesus is our Sabbath. He's our Sabbath rest. We enter into him for all that God has for us. We rest in his sacrifice on the cross for us. Why did they change from Saturday to Sunday? Well, there's one reason. If you look at your notes, number one, church meetings became a celebration of Jesus' resurrection from the grave. Jesus' victory over sin and death was the focal point now of God's people when they would meet together, they would gather for the, as an early church to celebrate his resurrection. That's why if you've been around here long enough, and yes, boy, do we celebrate Easter, but every Sunday is an Easter. Every Sunday is a celebration that Jesus is alive. Every Sunday is a celebration that we've been set free from our old sin. Our sins have been washed away and we've been given new life in Christ. Every time we get together. Well, second thing about this. So he preached for midnight. Does that mean he preached all day and then all night? No. Interesting. Uh, The Christians at Troas, they met Sunday night rather than Sunday morning. Why? Well, in pagan Rome, Sunday was just another work day. It was not a day off. And the believers would labor at their jobs all day long and then probably have a bite to eat and then head for church. And when their job ended, they would meet together to worship the Lord. So this is a picture of the early church meeting and they're getting together Verse 8 says there were many lamps in the upper room where they gathered together. And, of course, the lamps are burning. The, it's at night. They've worked all day. They're kind of having trouble staying awake. And it's like the pastor who, who said to the deacon, Hey, wake that guy up. And the deacon says, Why should I wake him up? You put him to sleep. Anyway, so that's a little bit of the problem that Paul's having here. And there was a guy sitting in a window trying to get fresh air, I think, verse 9. And a certain young man named Eutychus, he was sinking into a deep sleep. And he was overcome by this sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and he was taken up dead. You see, the physician Luke pronounces him dead. Fascinating verse, number 10. So Paul went down, and he fell on him, and he's embracing him. And there's some pictures in the Old Testament where God used the Old Testament prophets in this way 
bring life back into someone. And I think this is, Paul recognized that, and Paul, God put it on Paul's heart, just pray for this young man. Embrace him. Hold him close to your heart. And so he did. And here's what Paul said. This is crazy. Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Paul rushes down, and the Lord uses Paul again in an unusual, miracle way and restores life to this young man. Remember, Jesus also worked through Peter in this way to raise Dorcas from the dead. Look at your notes, number two. This was, again, I believe, God's promised signs and wonders that followed and authenticated the apostles' gospel message as they were first beginning to lay the foundation for the church of the living God. Wow. Now, verse 11. When he had come up, uh, he had broken bread, had eaten, and he wasn't done yet. He talked a while longer, even till daybreak. I don't want anybody complaining about the length of my messages. Okay. And then he departed. Wow, he's okay. <sighs> Where were we? Oh yeah, we were about to have communion of all things. That must have been some communion service, huh? Wow, I would have loved to have been there. Verse 12. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. That's the way the Bible says, they were crazy happy. (laughs) They were not a little comforted. They were very much comforted. So, There's a lot going on. Why would Paul let the team sail while he went 25 miles on foot? Verse 13. When he had again, uh, and he went again to the ship and sailed to Asos, and there intending to take Paul on board, for he had given orders, intending himself to go on board. So look at the map. And there's a lot going on in this short space. Paul sensed deep down in his heart that he might never see these believers again. Now he's focused on getting to Jerusalem and then back to Antioch. It's really going to happen this time. So they went on ahead. Evidently Paul says no Boys, you guys sail. I need some time to just walk. I need some time to just spend with the Lord alone. I know things are probably going to be really tough when I get to Jerusalem. He just had that sense in his heart. So you guys go ahead and sail. I'll meet you on the other side of the mountain. We'll meet at Asos. Paul must have just spent time walking with Jesus, just being alone with him, just spending time, building his heart up for what the Lord had ahead. Verse 14. And when he met us at Asos, and that's just below Troas, about 20, 25 miles, 
we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Verse 15, And we sailed from there, and the next day came to Clios, and the following day to Samos, and stayed at Tragilium. And those are just little communities, and they're not even on the map. The next day, finally, we came to Miletus, 20 miles below Ephesus now. Verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that we would not have to spend more time in Asia. Paul was focused on getting to Jerusalem, worshiping the Lord, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So think about this. Paul is God's man. God leads his steps sometimes through situations that he didn't expect. Things, he has his plan. He's ready to go. The Jews are going to assassinate him. If he gets on the ship, he's going to be thrown overboard. So he doesn't get on the ship. He goes another way. His whole schedule gets completely messed up. He planned to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. It just didn't work out that way. Rather than getting upset, though, or uptight, or angry... He simply said, well, then I'll make it for Pentecost. Number three on your notes. Pastor Chuck would say this all the time. I love this. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall bend and not break. There's a whole lot to that. Instead of being upset, uptight, angry, I had to change my plans. Paul looks for God's divine appointment in whatever comes his way. He trusts the Lord so much that he knows, Romans 8.28, God's going to cause all things to work together for good, whatever they might be. And so he became a very flexible man, just trusting in the Lord. The divine appointment, he's going, well, there must be a reason that I didn't get to Jerusalem there, that I'm headed for Jerusalem now. I'll try to make it for Pentecost. But there's got to be a reason in God's plan. When they stopped at Miletus, I think Paul goes, oh, I would have missed out on this opportunity if I would have been able to do my original plans. But now I'm going to be able to spend one more time with my dear, dear friends from Ephesus. So he's at Miletus, and from Miletus, verse 17, he sent to Ephesus and called for the leaders of the church. And he basically says to them, in my heart, I know things are going to get really difficult. This may be the last time that I'll have an opportunity spend time with you. I want to see you this one last time. Verse 18, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia and what manner I always lived among you. Verse 19, Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials. Now we're seeing Paul's heart which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. In the book of Acts, we see eight different messages from Paul. 
most of them are an evangelist message or an apologist message. But this one message is very special. And if it wouldn't have been for the delay in the trip, we would have never had this message from Paul. What a blessing it is! this is. This is a message for the whole church from Paul's heart. In this message, we see a man who loves Jesus' sheep incredibly. And we see the heart that should be in every pastor, in every church leader, a heart filled with the love of Christ. Paul goes on, verse 20, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. That repentance simply means turning. Turning towards God. Turning with faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So, number four in your notes. What's his message? Turn toward God. Have faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the city of Ephesus, and he spent all that time there, it was filled with idolatry. You remember the riot, what that was all about, about the temple of Diana and the, the shrines and all that was going on everywhere. And they brought an accusation against Paul, and there was no accusation. He wasn't against them. He was for turning to God and turning to Jesus. Interesting. The culture was decayed. The problems were great. Yet Paul didn't preach against sin. He preached turning towards God. Turning towards Jesus. John Corson shares something I thought was really fascinating. When This is what John says. When Billy Graham was in Portland, Oregon for a crusade, Reporters tried to get him to comment on Proposition 9 at that time, the Oregon Anti-Homosexual Bill. I think Billy hit a home run when he responded, I didn't come to Oregon to talk about politics. I came to talk about Jesus Christ. I came to let people know that they could turn towards God. Why would they want to do that? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh. Well, how do I know that that's true? Because his Son, Jesus, came. And he said, this one sign I will show you. The third day I will be raised from the grave. The the sign of Jonah. And it proves his claims that I'm the way and the truth and the life. And if you start talking about, well, I want to turn you towards what God has for you. I want to turn you towards the love of Jesus Christ. But I'm so wrapped up in this or in that. Well, let me give you something that's going to change your life if you allow it to. 
I want to talk about Jesus. I was talking with uh, one of our teachers this morning. And one of the things that kind of came through as we were talking is he's, he, she realized that, you know, people maybe don't care about what I think, but when I start telling them about what Jesus thinks, all of a sudden they're interested. What about what Jesus thinks? Does he have the authority to say that? Does he love you to the point that he could win your heart? And when you get the conversation turned towards the love of God and the love of Jesus and the power of the resurrection and the sins that are washed away and the new life that he gives and eternal life, the promise of eternal life, wow, that's powerful. And that's what we need. We need that in our schools, we need in our neighborhoods, in our county, especially in our state, in our nation. We need to turn towards God and turn towards with faith in Jesus Christ. Boy, we desperately need that. Well, Paul goes on, 22, and see how... I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. In other words, I've been told all these things are going to happen, but the Spirit is guiding my steps. I, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that it's been testified through prophets and, and others. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying there's going to be chains, there's going to be tribulations. Paul, don't go. Paul, but Paul says, verse 24, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. I'm going to stay on track. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to keep sharing. Turn your heart to God. Turn your heart to Jesus. Look to him. So Paul knew that time was getting short, I think is what's happening here. He knew that this was his last visit with these Ephesians. He said, every city that I've gone through, the Lord has let me know there's going to be problems ahead, difficulties ahead. But he responds, he goes, I don't care. <laughs> How could Paul say that? How could he be so persuaded that even if he's walking into the lion's den, that's where the Lord wanted him to be. Well, I share these verses that Paul shared in, to the Corinthians. And when you think about it, maybe this is when the Lord really put this on his heart, when he was at Corinth, ready to set sail. But anyway, this is what he shared. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven, which is the throne of the living God. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words and saw inexpressible truth. 
it's not even lawful for a man to utter. So here we see Paul now has a heavenly perspective as he walks through this broken world. His heavenly perspective was greater than any danger that this world might offer. I was thinking about that. And this came to mind. I saw a dear friend changed because of something like this. Um, Rob Pacheco's father, Carl, was dying of cancer. And it appeared the Lord took him. And then the Lord sent him back. He was gone. And the Lord said, no, I want you to go back. I want you to share with your family. I want you to share with your grandchildren how much I love them. And Carl Pacheco, oh, talk about sold out for Jesus at that point. He just gathered his family together and his grandchildren together and shared the love of Christ with them. The most amazing thing that I've ever seen. When you have a heavenly perspective and you know for sure that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and you're absolutely convinced that he rose from the grave and that he's your authority for life itself. Well, nothing can hold you back. What a, what a joy you are filled with. And this is the next verse as we finish verse 24. And so this is Paul's heart now. He's so firmly founded in Christ and his, the eternal life that Christ has given him. And he says, whatever happens, this is my heart, that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, that I'll finish that ministry that nothing will persuade me to get off track, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The joy that Paul talks about here, I have personally witnessed that joy in a man of God that's been such a privilege for me to know over the years. I've had the privilege of seeing the joy that Paul talks about here in Coach's life. Amen? Amen. What a privilege it is to be a fellow worker with Coach for Jesus. From the first day that I met him in 1978 at Willows High School, the vice principal's office, kids said, you need, you need to meet this guy. Okay. What, a, what a special day that was. Just two things about Coach you'll always see you'll see the joy of Jesus overflowing. And you'll hear the testimony about Jesus, how much Jesus loves you. True? Absolutely true. What an encouragement he is. So I call this coach's verse, that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Thanks, Coach. Love you. Well, Paul continues to share his heart with these pastors, these elders, these leaders. Verse 25, Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, I'm convinced you'll see my face no more. This is it. Paul's words, well, they had to be devastating to these dear friends. Therefore, verse 26, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul says, I kept nothing back. I didn't leave anything on the field. I gave it my all to spend his life for others and to be spent for Jesus. That was Paul's motto. The apostle's goal was to die with nothing left in his tank, that he had given his all for Jesus. Verse 28, Therefore, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. We'll stop right in the middle of that verse for a second. Look at your notes, number five. Notice, before a pastor takes heed to the flock, he needs to take heed to himself. Pastors burn out in ministry because they don't receive the ministry that they need personally from the Lord. And truthfully, the neediest guy in this room sitting right here. I need all that Jesus has for me every day. And I'll tell you this, ministry won't last very long and it won't be successful for sure if you're pouring or trying to pour from an empty cup. Now I'm going to meddle a little bit. Mom, Dad, marriage isn't going to last. A family It's not going to do well. It's not going to be successful if you're always trying to pour from an empty cup. It's not going to work. Elder, deacon, staff, teacher, helper, leader, minister. Have I shared that we're all ministers? Yeah. It's not going to work if you're trying to pour from an empty cup. Every minister's first priority is to take heed to himself first. Spend time with the Lord. Be like Paul. Forget the cruise. Take a hike and spend time with Jesus when you need to. Just spend time with Jesus in his word. There's nothing that takes place of that. Then you can tend to the ministry that God has given you. He will fill your cup and then you'll have something to share. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and then to the flock. Verse 28, Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Pastors, leaders, Sunday school teachers, Awana, whatever it might be, 
God's little sheep, God's big sheep, all of God's sheep, they belong to him. He purchased us with his blood. Oh, how he loves his church. A pastor is to lead and feed. A leader is to oversee and lift up. We're to turn each other's hearts towards God and to keep encouraging one another to put our faith toward Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. That's why we meet together. That's why we have life groups. That's why we do all that we do. Keep going in the right direction. Well, Paul's wrapping this up now. Verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, salvage wolves will come in among you and they're going to be hungry and they're going to try to devour the sheep. They're not going to spare the flock. Verse 30. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Their pride is going to get to them. They get their eyes off of Jesus and they start doing their own thing. It's crazy. Therefore watch, verse 31, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone every night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and protect you to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. With spiritual predators on the, on the prowl, is there any hope for the church of God? With the direction our world is going in and our society is headed, is there any hope for the church of God? Absolutely. It's His Word filled with Jesus' grace that builds us up and guarantees our future. Ah, how can we possibly go wrong when we turn towards the love of God and towards the faith, our faith in Jesus who loved us and died for us. So that's why Peter said, get back to the basics, folks. Don't forget this. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You start skipping that personal time with the Lord, you're in trouble. Your tank may be pretty full, but pretty soon there'll be nothing left. Don't let that happen. Take heed to yourselves. Verse 33. I have covered, coveted, excuse Excuse me, no one silver or gold or apparel. In other words, I certainly wasn't in this for myself. I love the Lord with all my heart. He loves you and I love you and I'm here to minister to you. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities. He was a tent maker and he wanted to share the love of Christ and he didn't want to charge people for it. He wanted to know that Jesus' gift of free of forgiveness and new life was free that Jesus paid the entire price and Paul wanted his life to be a picture of that so that they could see it for themselves 
Verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Stop. Does anybody know where Jesus said that? If you do, you'd be the first Bible scholar in history because we don't know when that was said. Fascinating. But evidently, Paul needed that from Jesus. Maybe it was when he was making these tents and people were knocking on his door and he was trying to make the tents and he was trying to help people and he was just, you know, just, I, Lord, I just can't do this anymore. And maybe the Lord just tapped him on the shoulder and said, Hey, don't you know that it's just more blessed to give than to receive? Remember a younger pastor a few years ago, kind of feeling the same way, having to go up to Susanville to find work, to do appraisals, to support the family while the church was being planted and starting to grumble and starting to, oh man, I just, how come I have to do, what? I was just, oh, I was beside myself. And the Lord just tapped on my shoulder and said, Tally, <laughs> tornado, Tally, a little hard work never hurt anybody. And the tears just came to my eyes. And I pulled off the road and I was just crying and laughing. And I go, Jesus, you have such a great sense of humor. And from that time on, that trip to Susanville to do the appraisal work and so forth, I had to do every week at that time. I started looking forward to that because I'd get in the car, I'd turn on K-Love, I'd start talking to the Lord. And before I knew it, sometimes I didn't even know how I got to Susanville. Scary, huh? True. It just became a time of blessing in my life. And that's what Paul is saying here. Yeah, I've spent my life. I've emptied my tank. But oh, what a blessing it is. You can't go wrong. You'll never outgive the Lord. And when he had said these things, verse 36, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. What a precious moment this was. And then they all wept freely and they fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Don't you love that, church? Souring most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And reluctantly, they accompanied him to the ship. Grown men, they hug, they cry. The tears were falling in the sand. Elders have been encouraged, they've been instructed, and Paul set sail for whatever the Lord has ahead for him. The last point on your notes in this final scene 
What a precious picture we have. We see Jesus' words come alive. Worship team, come on up. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have Jesus' love for one another. Take heed, church, first to yourselves, that you be filled to the brim with the love of Jesus, first for him, then for one another, and then for the world around you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Paul. Thank you for Coach. Thank you for these men that have given it all. The joy that shines through and the testimony that won't stop. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Oh, what a wonderful path he will lead for your life. Thank you for your word, Lord, how it strengthens us, and your grace, how it lifts us up, especially when we're going through difficult times, and we are. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for joining us online. So good to see everybody. Let's close our time. Let's stand up and worship together. Do you believe that? So whatever it takes, take heed to yourself. Spend time with Jesus like Paul did. Then as your cup is filled and overflowing with the love of Christ, help people turn towards God who loves them and the Savior who died for them. Wow. What an impact that will have in this community. God bless. Have an awesome day. Thanks for coming today. Shake somebody's hand that maybe you haven't met before, before you go. There will be someone up front to pray, ladies in the library.